Now on Netflix, inspired by the unbelievable true story of a fake hitman, comes the new movie, Hitman, from Academy Award nominee Richard Linklater. At 96% certified fresh on Rotten Tomatoes, critics are calling Hitman a smart, sexy crime thriller with surprises at every turn. Starring Glenn Powell and Adria Arjona, Hitman. Now playing on Netflix and in select theaters. Rated R. Okay. Yeah, that's it. All right. All right, Tix Prison Story family, how you doing? It's your boy Tim Snow. Uh, back at you with another good episode right here. We uh, actually have a friend of the person from our last episode from Convict Podcast. So shout out to Moliere. Y'all go check out his channel and that little interview if y'all haven't already. And this is actually somebody he sent to me. So she comes highly recommended and I've actually checked out a little bit. It's pretty cool. So tell them who you are and where you're from and how they can get in touch with you first. All right. Hi, guys. Uh, thanks for having me on. My name is Jordan. I'm on Facebook. I'm Jordan Nicole Upchurch on YouTube. I am former inmate Jordan Cahill. That's C-A-H-I-L-L 154363. That is my Florida, D.C. number. Um, IG, I'm under Gilly Girl Photos. I have a part-time photography business, so I do promote on there for that. Um, but I am from the good state of Florida, from Marion County, where Lowell Correctional Institution sits loud and proud. Oh, you live right there by the prison? Um, actually, I, I used to. I have pretty much my whole life. I'm actually um, about 45 minutes from it now um, in Citrus County in a town called Inverness. But I was just up there, uh, just up there today. But I've, I've lived in this county for a long time. My mom used to have a house like two-tenths of a mile from the prison. Oh, wow. Okay. Yeah. Uh, well, listen, after we finish the interview, uh, and I upload it, make sure that you comment, list your, you know, all your info that you just gave us because you talk kind of fast, and I'll pin the comments so you'll be the first one on the video, okay? All right, great. All right, cool. So, y'all yeah, check the comment section there, and y'all can get at her, her IG, her Facebook, and her YouTube. Y'all yeah, run the numbers up. And she's actually really close to 1,000 subscribers, so I'm pretty sure we can put her over the mark and Help her make a couple bucks off this shit. You know, it's kind of worth it. So, yeah, you got a good story. So, anyway, uh, Miss Jordan, welcome to Texas Prison Stories. Thank you for coming. Thank you. Thank you for having me. And thank you to Moliere for uh, to referring me to you. He's a great guy. I love his media. I love his content and the way that he delivers it. And same as you. So, thanks for having me on. Thank you. Yeah, he's something else. I like him, too. I was actually just watching one of his episodes a few minutes ago before we talked. So, that was cool. Uh let the people of Texas know, how long did you do in prison? Um, I was sentenced to 120 months for armed robbery. I did 85% of that, so exactly eight and a half years. Um, I was incarcerated in 2005, was released uh, the end of 2013, and since I've been out for uh, a little over six years. Uh, was it a fifth case or was it a state? No, it was a state case. Okay, that sounds just the way the feds run it. Wow, I'll be down <laughs> 85 and everything. Yeah. Okay, uh, so you did eight and a half straight? Yeah. Yeah, I did. Uh, um, I was 25 when I went in, and I was almost 34 when I got out. And the last year and a half, I did a work release. So um, 11 months of that was regular work release, and seven months of that prior to that was pre-work release, so just classes. Okay, okay. Oh. Uh, 
uh, man, I'm trying to think about it. Actually, out of all the women that I've ever talked to so far, I think that's the most time. So a lot of them haven't. You usually do like twos and threes and fours. You did eight and a half, so that's kind of kind of a little stretch. When you first got to the prison in Florida, because see, uh, I want to ask you some things right now. As you know, the the male prisons in Florida are getting tons of attention for like the violence and fighting and stuff like that. Is it like that in the women's prison in Florida? Are y'all crazy as hell? Or are y'all laid back? What's going on? It's not. Um, in fact, uh, in women's prisons, you don't really have to fear the person next to you. You have to fear who's watching you. It's more, um, especially in a women's prison, you've got to fear the the staff who are in charge of you. There, especially in Florida, there's not a lot of like the gang affiliations that there are in like Texas and California and New York state prisons and places where gangs are really big. In Florida, it's not like that. I know that in men's prisons, it's more prevalent, but it's not in women's prisons. In women's prisons, they have families. So whereas, you know, you might have crazy white boys over here or, you know, Black Panthers, however, however it fits in. And when women's prisons, you've got families. So you've got this lady is uh, mamaw and peepaw. And then you've got mom and dad over here and you've got some stud, you know, still in that role. So there's a there's a lot of family units in there. Right. OK, I got a question. Then, uh how many people were at the prison you were at? I spent the most time at. Um, at Lowell, Lowell is the largest women's correction facility in the state. Um, not just the state, but the nation. Um, it comprises three units at, that make up Lowell. So it's got the annex, the main unit, and then it has the work camp. But then across the street from that is the women's reception center also. So altogether, it houses 5,000 women. So it is a huge, it's a massive compound and it takes up um, uh, a great part of the central part of, you know, Florida. Okay, I've, been, I've actually been on a place about that size, and that is huge. But I want to ask you some more about that because I've always, listen, I've always wondered this, and I've never known anybody to answer. So on that big-ass compound right there, how many of the uh, families do you think there was, like, clicks with the with the families, like you're talking about? Were there a lot? Oh. Uh, yeah, a lot. I mean, you, you don't, it's, it's not like, you know, like mafioso where you've got like the Martones over here and the Libertellis, you know what I'm saying? It's more like this dorm has, uh, you know, this, this dorm has a, a, a mom and dad and this dorm has a grandma and grandpa. And it's just kind of people that, you know, women that have been there for really long times that have taken other inmates under their wings. Um, a lot of, women in prison, the majority of women in prison have burnt the bridges on the outside with their own family. Um, their children are raised by other people. Their children are in foster care or they've been adopted out. Um, a lot of them have dealt with prostitution and abuse and things like that. So there's a lot of little like niche families uh, within within each unit, within each compound. There's you know, lots of them. Okay, that's what I was wondering. I'm trying to picture uh, like uh, Orange is the New Black or something, you know what I mean? <laughs> Fighting yeah. in the bathroom and stuff. Yeah, it happens. <laughs> yeah, I bet it does. Yeah, for sure. Uh, so when you hit the 25 with, with 120 months, girl, that's 10 years. How did you feel when I just said 10 years? It was devastating. Um, I, I look at that as a blessing and a curse, okay? So when I obviously when I was doing what I was doing, because I was guilty of what I went to prison for. I was an opiate addict. I was addicted to Oxycontin. I was involved with a guy who was already in the midst of breaking the law in that manner. And I just followed suit and 
I got involved. So I had four felony, uh, four life felonies against me. Um, from that, they they put me to trial for one of those, and then they dropped the other three as long as I never appealed my conviction. And so I had to go into that 120 months knowing that I could have had four life sentences that I would have been doing if I, you know, if I wanted to fight it or be arrogant or whatever else. So I went into the, I went in knowing I had 120 to do. And that if I was good, I'd probably get out sooner. And, and that's what I did. But it's a very, um, it's terrifying. You know, I was a first time offender also. I had never been in trouble before. Wow. So that was your first lick, 10 years right there for real? Yeah. Yeah, it's kind of depressing is what that probably was. One of my friends, shout out to Heather, she just got a uh, fed case eight and a half years, her very first arrest ever. She never even had a misdemeanor, and she just got yeah. eight and a half. So. Yeah, neither. Rough. Same situation, same situation. When you went to prison, did you have kids or no kids? I did. I um, My son was actually five years old when I got incarcerated, and he is my best friend now. He was my best friend then, despite being a drug addict. I was a very loving mom. And up until I went to prison, he was with me, you know, all the time. And if I cooked, he cooked. If I cleaned, he cleaned. He was always, you know, right by my side. So One, one thing I want to say, I, don't, I mean, I'm sorry, I don't want to interrupt you, but all. Is most people see they have a mistaken identity or interpretation about kids when their parents go to prison and shit. I would say 97% of the kids I've seen out there stuck very close to their parents if they were old enough. Nobody said, F you mom or F you dad yeah. or nothing. Like it actually, sometimes it saved people's relationships with their children and actually helped them build them that they would have never gotten in that world. So that was kind of oh, weird. Yeah. Absolutely. And I, and I saw that a lot. I think my greatest fear was that I was going to be the parent whose child didn't forgive them. I was going to be the, the parent whose child couldn't get past their own hurt and their own suffrage to see that I made human mistakes and I'm so sorry for them. But my son's father raised him to be a man and he raised him to have a compassionate and an empathetic heart. And my son and I have a great relationship because I went to prison. You know, right. so uh, I'm, I'm grateful for it. Time. Excellent. Well, that's good. Shout out to his dad. Sounds like a good yeah. man. Very good man. I just had my first little daughter and I'm trying to be. You seen it, right? I just showed you my I, daughter. Right? Yeah, she's so her. beautiful. Yeah, I love the babies. <laughs> yeah, thank you. But, uh, okay, so you went in 25, a 10-piece mm -hmm. to-do with the son. All right. I, that is three recipes for a man that makes somebody pissed off and aggravated. I mean, you weren't too happy when you hit there, were you? I mean, golly, I don't know. Were you scared? Were you happy? Were you mad? What was going depressed. on when you first walked in? Yeah, the depression um, for the first two years, I was depressed. And in fact, I had a job. I was fortunate enough that I worked for the medical department. So I worked early in the morning. I had to clean and then I worked late at night. And so all of the rest of the daytime, I could sleep. And that's what I did. I used my lay-in in between jobs and I just slept and I avoided people. I would wait till everybody else went to sleep at night and then I'd eat out of my locker and I'd stay up and I... I'd start writing poetry and I wrote him songs and I wrote him books and I made fairy tales and I, you know, pieced wow. together little pieces of magazines and I tried to use that, that sadness I was feeling in a creative way and it helped me and it helped him. But yeah, de depression and suicidal thoughts and tendencies, the first, you know, first two years. And then I kind of woke up and said, um, I hate this. I never want to experience this again. And I got to change some stuff in me to, 
to never come back. And so that's what I kind of did. It was the two year mark that really hit me. Oh, that's good. Yeah. Kind of a wake up call, huh? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. There's, there's some people that do their entire bid that never have that wake up call, man. They just come straight out miserable. You know what I mean? And some people do actually turn it productive. And that is a lot of the reason too, why I wanted to talk to you after I talked to Moliere and shit, you are actually a normal person now that has a normal, you know what I'm saying? Normal life and everything. Yeah. Uh, in part two, we'll get to exactly all the stuff that you're doing. You you have your foot on the necks out there too, and that's kind of cool. Just like exactly. he does, you know? <laughs> yeah. Just like <laughs> he, we'll get into that. that. That's what they want to watch in part two. But I'm gonna go in a little bit more about the prison. But we'll let them know that you're uh, you have overcome all this BS. You know what I mean? So that's cool. But so listen, when you woke up two years in, uh, at at that moment, you told me that you were being a loner. You pretty much wait till everybody goes to sleep, do your own thing, and everything like that. In two years, did you decide, decide, man, I'm tired of this. I think I want to make some friends. Or did you just already kind of have some of what? Because that's kind of, you, you get tired of being alone in there. Yeah. Well, um, I think in women's prisons, it's easy to find at least one person that you can relate to. I mean, one person you can cry with, one person you can sing with. I'm a, I'm a creative person, so I'm a singer. I'm a songwriter. Um, I, you know, I write poetry and books and things like that. So it's very easy to find at least um, a couple people within the element that you can relate to. So I always had that, the the pivotal point for me. So when I first came into prison, of course, everybody is received at Lowell and then they're teamed out to whatever institution. And I happened to be teamed out to the furthest institution from my son. So wow. I was not able to see him for the first two years. And that that was soul crushing for a mother who you know, realizes I, you know, I, I messed up, but I love my baby and I want to see my baby and he and I both need this. It was very hard. So I had to wait to do a good behavior transfer. And once I got that transfer, I actually left a better facility further away to come to Lowell, which is the worst facility, but it literally was a mile from my mother's house. And so I was able to see my son. So I endured, you know, years of hardship at Lowell in order to, to see him. And that's where a lot of my changes were coming from because I was able to see my family and there was a light at the end of the tunnel. I, I wasn't, it wasn't dismal and gray and bleak when I got out. I knew there was going to be some resolution. You know what my grandmother said, any of us that ever gotten any trouble, uh, grandma was always the matriarch of the family. And she said that it's very important that you, somebody goes and visits these people and somebody writes them and maybe send them paper. Grandma was always like that. Oh, uh, Hate that we get in trouble, but never let us be distant from the family, no matter how far away. Because Texas will literally send you 800 miles away yeah. in a whole different region. And you're out of touch. And see, back when I did my time, we didn't even have pay phones back then. So it was pretty rough. You know what I mean? Uh, sure. So you you coming close to your son. And look what you told me. Two years depressed, two years away from your son. Come back mm -hmm. and you start feeling better. So that's a beautiful thing. Oh, there's a couple of real ass questions that I want to ask you that nobody's ever even talked about. And uh, sure. tell me the real truth, man. No lie. And this is what this is where your story gets different. OK, and mm -hmm. I'm just going to cut to the chase. It's some bullshit. What is it like as a woman? Uh, first of all, let me say as a man in penitentiary, OK, as a man, you have to be macho. You have to be tough. You're never allowed to show fear in a man's prison or you get your ass whooped by your friends. And that is also towards the guards. If If they let a guard do something to them, they got to go get the guard. You know what I'm saying? And stuff like that. But women's prisons don't act like that. I really want to know 
how does that feel internally knowing that you do have some of these snake ass guys over top of you and you can't do nothing if they do wild stuff to you? Like, is it really hard to navigate the system of weirdos and creeps and stuff like that in there? It is. It is very much so because, okay, so in a men's, men's institutions, you've got to worry about, you know, females and some gay male staff coming on to male offenders. Very rarely do you ever hear of a man being raped in prison. Do you, do you see what I'm saying? And so for a woman in prison, it is a very daunting hallway to have to pass down when you've got eight, nine, ten corrections officers who are all three, four, five, six, seven times your size, who have all made direct or indirect glances at you or comments to you. It's a very, it's a very dangerous situation. I'm a very small statured female. Pardon me. I've got to go in. My phone's actually dying. Um, I'm a very small statured female. I'm five foot one and I'm 120 pounds. And so I personally was pushed up against the wall several times by male staff members who push their body against you and grope you. And there's nothing you can do or say. You can't, um, you know, you, you can't defend yourself against that because if you do, you face further retaliation against them. And, uh, you know, women also have to have that, that bravado that, that men have to have in order to protect themselves against other women. So you've got to be able to defend yourself. You can't just be meek and mild and expect that somebody's going to come and, and defend for you. So you got to be able to defend yourself against the, the person in the bed next to you. But when you can't defend yourself against the person in charge of you all, that's where it becomes a scary situation. Right. I understand. That's what I'm saying. Uh, okay. Listen, no disrespect. Because I honestly, I have a, I have a gay cousin and I love my gay cousin, man. So this is nothing about gay people or anything like that. Somebody talk about my gay cousin, we'll have a problem. Okay. But I would be terrified to be in a prison full of 100% gay staff. I would be like, oh man, hold on. They're looking at me weird. It's, I, I couldn't imagine it. It would be anxiety. Yeah. It would be strange stuff. And I would want zero advances. So I couldn't imagine. Uh, and then this, listen, as you as an inmate, you're looking at the CO like, man, y'all, y'all are the enemy, basically. You know, uh, at that time, you are. The system pits all together, you know, against each other and stuff like that. So the vulnerability is what I'm trying to trying to get and what sure. you explained well. Yeah. And I, but listen, Jordan, I want some of the females, the young girls that watch this to know how that feels. It's scary as hell. I know it is. You know what I mean? And tell them, man, that's, that's for real scary. Because, listen, a, guy, a guard might push up on you with bad breath. Oh, stubble on his beard. He might just look like shit and smell like it. You know what I mean? And what can you do? Nothing. It's terrible. That's it. and, and that's just like, okay, so um, Lowell being the, the largest women's prison happens to have a YO camp. So a youthful offender camp. And the youthful offender camp is full of girls who are 14 to the age of 24 years old. Oh, who God. are incarcerated in a Florida state penal system. And you have men who are 18, 19, 20, 22, 25 in charge of them. Very rarely do you have a, a female staff present all the time. But even then, the female to the female to male staff ratio is so offset. Men are always more present than females are. And so you've got little girls, little budding women who are in a vulnerable situation being kept by men who have anger and hostility issues, 
the pedophilia issues, who have, um, uh, you know, moral uh, turpitude of a frog at times. You've got um, no safe reporting for these girls in there. Prison is a very scary situation for anybody. But when you are a young, attractive female being in an institution where it's 90% male, and the majority of those men engage in steroid use. Steroid use is big here in Central Man. Florida. Testosterone level. Yeah, exactly. So you've got these guys that are juicing up on the outside. They're coming in. They they have excessive uses of force against small women who are turning them down and turning them in. And then in the end, they're getting their way anyhow because these men are able to accost and sexually assault these girls. And there's nothing we can do about it. I was sexually assaulted multiple times in prison. And I'm nope. sitting here right now with no recourse. The prison's not helped me. The state of Florida hasn't helped me. And I'm one of thousands of victims. Well, listen, that's uh, my God, man. You just told everything that I wanted you to say. I can give you a big old hug right now because... Every young woman that's doing any type of crime, doing drugs, got a boyfriend that's riding around with a gun, got a boyfriend riding around selling dope, better listen to this woman, what she just told y'all. The pretty ones have it worse, y'all. <laughs> the pretty women have it worse. So you think you look good and you're the shit out here? No, ma'am. You'll be the one in there getting raped, getting molested, and having problems. And listen, Jordan, that's 20 minutes. That's part one. We're going to leave it right there. What she just told you that it happened to her, y'all. Part two, we're going to come back and discuss a little bit more in the fact that this woman did not lay down and she is a fighter. And, yeah, she's giving them black eyes out there in Florida. So, Jordan, we're going to end this part one right here. I think it's going to do real well. We'll come back and do part two, and I'm going to post it for them next Friday. So they can look for this video Friday at about 8 o'clock. Not this one, but part two will be Friday at 8 o'clock, and I'm going to premiere it. You come in the chat with us, and we'll do it live and everything, okay? Awesome. All right, Tim, thank you so much. Uh, Texas Prison Stories, love you guys. Molière DeMonch, thank you again. Um, everybody, please uh, keep your eyes out and your ears open. Uh, we're not going to stop. Give me all your info again one more time. Your uh, IG, your Facebook, and everything one more time. And I'm gonna all right. Facebook, I'm Jordan Nicole Upchurch. That's U-P-C-H-U-R-C-H. On YouTube, it's former inmate Jordan Cahill. One five four three six three, Cahill spelled C A H I L L, and if you like uh, sensual boudoir photography, you can look up Gilly Girl Photos on Instagram. G I L L E Y Girl Photos. Gilly Girl Photos. Okay, y'all go check out our IG and show some love. Okay, Jordan, listen, we'll see you again. Thank you so much. Uh, part two, we'll get into a little more heavy shit, and we'll tell them why you're even here. It's, it's, it's going to be a good surprise for them. Okay, see you later. All right. Thank you, sir. You have a great night. Thank you. Uh, come on. Here we go. All right. Text Prison Story family. How you doing? It's your boy, Tim Snow. We're back here. Uh, episode two. Y'all were lucky she came back to see us. It's kind of big time already now. So that's what's up. Uh, how you doing? I'm doing very good. How are you? Doing great. Uh, hopefully they watch part one so they know who you are. But if they didn't, tell them who you are. Tell them uh, how they can get in touch with you, all that stuff, too. All right, guys. Hey, I'm Jordan Cahill. I'm out of Florida. A former former inmate one five four three six three. You can look me up on YouTube. It's former inmate Jordan Cahill. That's C A H I L L. You can find me on Facebook as Jordan Up Church. I went back to my maiden name. And on IG, you can find me on Gilly Girl Photos. I am a part time photographer, so I do have some work on there. And you can always hit me up there. 
How you spell the I-G? So they'll know. All right. G-I-L-L-E-Y-G-I-R-L-F. I'm sorry. P-H-O-T-O-S. So Gilly Girl Photos. Cool, cool. I just want everybody to make sure they got that understood. And, uh, yeah, so cool. We're honored. And uh, I think you just recently crossed a 1,000 subscriber mark, too, right after the interview and stuff like that. Congratulations. You had all the all the watch time and stuff like that. It's pretty hard to do. You know what I mean? So Thank congratulations. You. I, I wasn't able to do it without you and Moliere and Jake, uh, everybody, you know, kind of tossing my name out there. So I appreciate every single one of you guys getting the message out there in our own our own little way. But people are listening. Yeah, right. Shout out to everybody, man. That's what it's really about. Listen, we're all really supposed to network, not hate on each other. You know what I mean? So uh, I got a lot of people in Texas that might not watch everybody in Florida, and they might have some people over there that uh, don't watch Texas. So you never know. But Moliere, I actually, for real, I kind of hounded him for a while. And, you know, he actually recommended you before he did his interview. So he's like, man, I got this friend that'll be good, you know. So he was being shy, so I'm glad I got him. <laughs> Yeah. yeah, he's great. He's great. And and I, I love his I love his research capability and I love that he brings brings receipts to the table. He doesn't just it's not just commentary. He's he's got facts and he's got names and dates and yeah, Convict Podcast is, is definitely one to keep watching. Hey, Moliere um broke some news actually just now and ten ninety ten ninety Jake shared his video, so shout out to Jake because it was he has a big big platform and that was something that was important tell us what just happened in texas tell us what just happened in florida okay what happened so um as part of the florida department of corrections website there is the inmate mortality page and the purpose of that is to list the inmates who have died in the department of corrections care by name by age by institution and what their manner of death is so suicide natural causes homicide etc so what DOC did, our governor, Ron DeSantis, and our secretary of DOC, Mark Inch, they removed this vital information. And I suspect and believe wholeheartedly that they did this because they're hiding the abuse and the deaths going on in Florida prisons. And they're afraid of people like Moliere and 1090 Jake and myself and Christina Randall who are exposing what goes on behind the walls. And that's a death accountability report that the general public should have access to. Yeah, let me, uh, let me put something in their ears. They can think about, they wouldn't even be trying to hide it if it was a lot of inmate deaths. They're trying to hide it because it's them doing it. You know what yeah. I mean? They'd be all, they, if it was a lot of inmates causing these deaths, they would publicize it and use it to crack down security. That's what Amen. they were doing. Let me ask you a question in Texas. When's the last time have you heard of a Florida prison riot where officers were killed? When's the last time you heard about it? Uh, no, I haven't. Honestly, goodness, here in Texas, unless we watch the show, we don't hear a lot about Florida. So that's why I'm kind of curious about y'all, you know, honestly. Sure, because, it, because I can't recall the last time that it's happened. Now, officers have been killed, and I'm not saying that they have not. Officers have been assaulted by inmates. But every news story that we have, this year, last year, the year prior, it's not about officers getting killed. It's about inmates being killed by officers. And when you take away the account accountability report to show this inmate died on this day at this institution or this seven inmates died this day, and it's the, th that's public information that we should all be aware of. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. You know, uh, when my own brother passed away in prison, I didn't get a clear picture of what exactly happened. And he, did, he, he, he died in a prison that was really distant from here, you know, by the, 
well over an eight-hour car trip. We didn't know a lot of people there and stuff like that. And we didn't have a lot of faith in the system to tell us the truth, stuff like that. I actually had to write some inmates on his prison to kind of get the word there, you know what I mean, and find out some stuff. It was kind of not what I expected. So, yeah, that's going to be what they have to do. When, they, when their people die, they're going to have to get in the convict grapevine and find out what happened to their people now. That's terrible because sometimes the grapevine exaggerates. Sometimes it's wrong, but they're going to be so desperate to find out. They're going to, that's what they're going to be doing, you know? So, mm-hmm. we, yeah, well, they're going to, they might, uh, even y'all keep putting this pressure on and maybe y'all can get it back. Uh, maybe they'll say that was a glitch and put it back. Cause I heard the link is still there. Just the pages are blank. So. Yes, exactly. It shows the, the, um, the amount of deaths. It shows the number, the actual number uh, for suicide, for homicide, for things like that, and it shows it by institution, but it does not show the inmates' information, and that's what's most important. Right, right, I understand. That's why I like y'all's channel so much, especially you. You, uh, we won't give away a lot of your content, but you do this constantly. You and Moliere, y'all get on them, man. Y'all pay close attention. Uh, a lot of your videos, I would highly invite my guests to watch mine to go look back at some of your older videos that you've done before you because you put out a lot of videos before you had a lot of subscribers. So salute to that. Uh, you literally, listen, you literally came out swinging, man. You just had a lot of self-confidence. Yeah, you knew your channel was going to blow up. And uh, it's actually happening now. So salute to that. But some of your old videos, they better go look back. Or maybe you need to re-release them or something sure. like that. That's what I, I, would, I, would, I would probably actually delete and re-release them. Because some of the new people need to watch some of that stuff. You did a lot of good work. Thank you. I appreciate it. There's just, there's so much going on. There's so much injustice. There's, there's so many uh, victims and they're, they're speaking out and we hear them. We know that these things are true. I've experienced it. I've seen it with my own two eyes. I lived it for a decade. And so for the department to just say, no, man, that doesn't happen. That's ridiculous. We accept responsibility as, as for the most part, returning citizens, convicted felons, we own up to, yeah, you know, I messed up and, and, and this is what I did to fix it. Why grown adults in the Department of Corrections can't do the same thing and just own up to the responsibility that not everybody is good and some people are really, really bad. You just, you figured that they would want to hold those people accountable to make the rest of them look look better, but they don't, they don't. Uh, it's, uh, you know, no disrespect to police officers. I don't have any ill will to the cops all my life. All my life, I was always messing up, getting caught. Nobody framed me or nobody did anything like that. So I've always kept a level of respect for the police. But uh, we do know that they have something called a thin blue line where they're not going to try to cross a lot. And uh, the correctional officers have a serious blue line also. You know what I mean? That's no game. Ten years, have you you, you can vouch for that or what? Mm-hmm. Oh, absolutely. Okay, so... One thing I want to stress, and, and this is something that I'm confronted with all the time in this arena, corrections officers are not cops. Corrections officers are not police. They're not trained to be detectives. They're not trained to be forensic psychologists. They're not trained to be medical examiners. They're trained to house people, to feed them, to defend themselves, and to keep those folks locked up. And that's it. So why these... Uh, why these officials think that you know the rest of us are so stupid we're just going to go along with it you guys were taught a specific thing you have a specific job you can't go outside of that and start investigating these internal crimes and then just knocking them off like they don't matter 
You know, we need an outside agency. We need an outside auditing agency who looks at every case of abuse, who looks at every DR, who looks at every grievance where it's not, you don't have staff hands on that. You've got somebody that's uh, an outside agency who's not affiliated with that. You know, there's a, there's a tricky situation happening in Florida, and it's all being y'all covered behind up right now. Times. Y'all, y'all are really behind times, because listen, Texas, uh, Texas has such a high murder rate, and so many people getting stabbed. We were up to like almost thirty people a year getting killed, six hundred, mm-hmm. seven hundred people getting stabbed, seriously stabbed. That they really just started prosecuting people. Now there is five, possibly six murders just this year. I know for a fact in TDC where they're all facing the death penalty right now. Like, we're not playing here in Texas anymore. You kill yeah. somebody, you go on to the, you go on the death row, you know what I mean? And uh, there are still some instances we've had. There's an inmate date named David Witt. That I wasn't really going to talk about David Witt, but everybody can Google him. That's one of the most tragic things that happened to a Texas inmate recently. And I'll just leave it like that, man. I don't want to talk much about it, but it's all on Google. But anyway, uh. I want to ask you a couple questions because I ain't going to keep it too long tonight. It's Friday and stuff like that. But I want to give, man, give me like three things to discourage the young girls because there's, there's not, there's women out here talking and everything, but they're not exactly speaking to the women only. Like, what would you tell a young girl out there that's probably smoking weed right now, drinking and riding with her boyfriend while he's doing some dumb shit? What would you tell her then? You know, like, mm. how cool. Okay. All right. Let's see. Let's see which way we're going to go with this. All right. First off, young girls, young girls, you have so much to offer the world. You do. You have so much to offer the world. And it's not wearing a pair of booty shorts and a Maserati, drinking a Bahama Mama, smoking a big fat blunt, listening to trap music. That's not it. You have so much more purpose. But what happens when you do those things, when you involve yourselves in circumstances and situations where there are illegal activities that can put you in prison, you succumb to that and you end up being a victim of the system. Once you get incarcerated, you've got two things you've got to watch out for. You've got to watch out for the person next to you living side by side with you. And you also have to look out for who is in charge of you because both can be equally as dangerous and violent. People get put in prison because they do bad things. People have mental health issues that are never addressed. You've got schizophrenics in there that'll pick up a box blade and cut you just as quick as they see you and go about their day because they're mentally affected. You have people who are sociopaths who don't have that same level of human connection and will hurt you just because. And again, that's that's inmates next to you and that's staff members. And to be a to be a woman, to be a a vulnerable woman in a system where people are bigger than you, there's hallways they can push you down, there's rooms they can lock you in, there's bathrooms they can push themselves up against you in, they can put their hands down your pants, they can put themselves inside you, they can sodomize you, and you know what? Don't get to say anything because if you do, it's gonna happen the next day and the next day, and next week, and then you get shipped to a different compound, and it happens there. You don't want to go to prison. You don't. Man, thank you for that. One one other thing I want to touch, and I'm going to be done with it, because that was awesome right there. And uh, thank you so much. Tell these girls, okay, I, I want to dispel any fantasy that they have, okay, about 
being a woman in prison and these big buff, good looking guards that are like uh, cool as heck and sexy and all this other. I'm pretty sure there's one or two of them, but uh, come on, I'm pretty positive that there was a bunch of Poindexter nerds and bad breath guys and weirdos. Uh, the guy like on Orange is the New Black with the mustache, you know what I mean? Stuff like that. Mustache, yeah. Yeah. Now, tell them that's real, man. Let them know. Not only, not only is that real. Okay, so first off, uh, speaking of Orange is the New Black, it's a funny show. It's a good show. It it shows some of the truth about prison, but in an ironic, comedic light. It's not reality, people. So I, there's so many people that they throw out opinions on prison, and they think it's one way, and they absorb that information from their couch, from a cell phone, from social media, from watching shows. It's not tangible. So, so a lot of people need to step back from their opinions of that, but that that's first and foremost. But be, beyond that, there is, okay, I'm gonna say this in the best way that I can. In eight and a half years that I did, I was around one specific male officer for four of those eight and a half years, side by side, every single day. I ran a program in prison. It was a social service program. I had my own office. I had two life sentence inmates that I was training to take over once I EOSed. I had a door that shut and I was able to work from 8 a.m. to 8 p.m. And this staff member was next to me and I fell in love with him. I absolutely fell in love with this man. Now, having said that, he was never inappropriate. He never tried me. He never pushed me against. He never even verbally said I like you, I anything. He never crossed that line. But when I got out of prison, he'd quit his job right before I got out. And then he professed his love to me. And then you know what he did? I, I quit my job down in St. Pete, Florida, and I moved up to Ocala to be with him. Right after he called me, when I told him I had a $750 credit or 750 credits for, he calls me and asked me to take out a personal loan so him and his kids don't get evicted from their house. And I loaned oh. this ex-corrections officer. He had 12 years there. He was a sergeant. Loaned this dude $1,500. And guess what, girls? He stopped talking to me. He stopped for talking to me for $1,500, for $1,500. But beyond that, the men in prison who did put their hands on me were fat. They were disgusting. They smelled. They had stubble on their face. One of them looked like a weasel. He actually looked like a prepubescent boy. He was a lieutenant, and he had a little mohawk. He's the one that just got arrested for raping two children the past 10 years. And this man sexually assaulted me in prison, and I couldn't say anything because that prison was a mile down the road from my mother's house where I was able to visit my son all the time. So girls, girls, it happens all the time. You get put in positions where you are absolutely defenseless in an institution that could give two shits less what you feel about it. And you're victimized and victimized and victimized. Then you feel bad when you get out, so you use drugs to feel better, and you go right back in and repeat the cycle. Man, I tell you what, that's beautiful. That's so true, man. And they repeat, uh, rewind that and listen to that whole thing again for real. No lie. Thank you for that. Uh, Former inmate Jordan Cahill, tell him the uh, entire channel. Alan, check this out. This is for the people that watched this later on the older videos. You did say you're probably going to change your channel name. Yeah. So I checked myself. You can actually just type in Jordan Cahill, J O R D Y N 
C-A-H-I-L-L. They can just type in your name. That's good enough if you come up. So any channel name, any nonsense, they can just type in Jordan Cahill later on in the future and find you. Um, give them your Facebook name again. What was it? Jordan Upchurch, U-P-C-H-U-R-C-H. It's like you're going up to church. That's right. Okay. And IG is Gilly Girl Photos, right? That's right. That's cool. And uh, after you did part one, you actually got a little bit of attention, huh? It's very nice because I'm, you know, I'm new to all this. So again, I appreciate you. I mean, you are, you're the, you're the, the starting off. So. Yeah, that's Molly <laughs> did that, man, for real. Hey, and hopefully they monetize this one. They knocked our other one down for one or two comments, and that's why I didn't spread and get too many views. Yeah, I know. So it's actually just the hardcore fans watching it. It's at about 2K, but this one will monetize and probably hit like 10 or 15 or something. So it'll be better. Anyway, thank you, Jordan. Have a great day. We're fixing the well. Shout out, check this out. Shout out to Frank Valdez in Galveston. And we have a restaurant called the Huli Huli Hut. Okay, check it out. It's H-U-I-L, H-U-I-L, the Huli Huli Hut. I'll fix some go over there and give me some free stuff. You know what I'm saying? So shout out to them. It's the best place in Galveston, man. We'll catch you later, Jordan. Thank you for doing it. All right. Thank you, guys. Bye-bye.